Now the new climate change report just released. 13 federal agencies ramping up urgent warnings of a severe threat to America's health and economy. The staggering findings released in the middle of a holiday weekend. This year's deadly wildfires and monster storms. Terrifying signs of things to come. According to tonight's dire new assessment from 13 federal agencies, government scientists warning the impacts of climate change are intensifying. A newly released government report is revealing the dire consequences of climate change. The report was mandated by Congress and written with the help of dozens of agencies. It says climate change has staggering economic and public health consequences. It also says the Earth is, Earth's climate is changing faster than any point in history, primarily due to human. Imagine a world where you can sail right up to the North Pole, where the largest ice sheet in the Northern Hemisphere is simply melting away now broken all-time records for three consecutive years. Imagine a world where hurricanes and heat waves wreak havoc. I break news as Hurricane Irma continues to show no person. What if I told you this is already happening right here, right now? That we are the primary cause and that only we have the power to stop it. According to the officials, the Missouri River is expected to crest today, swelling the river's waters to its third highest level on record. The damage is particularly devastating for farmers uh, whose farm and ranch losses are expected to be in the billions. We've got uh, well over 100 miles of uh, farmland along the river, 100 miles in length, probably 10 to 20 miles in width uh, underwater. Uh, I'm about 60 miles from home right now. I can't get there from here on the interstate. The major artery through our area is closed. Uh, grain bins have been destroyed, roads, railroads, bridges uh, damaged. It is an, a terrible, terrible act, tragedy. We want to get right to that breaking news. Tornadoes across the heartland. Take a look at Dayton, Ohio as the sun rises people waking up to scenes like this. So much devastation there. Homes, apartment buildings, businesses and schools destroyed. The Midwest hit so hard overnight. Dayton, one of the largest cities in Ohio, was struck by back-to-back -back twisters. And so right now, rescue crews are going door to door trying to save people who may be trapped as millions wake up without power this morning. And when you look at those Im images, it's not hard to, d to see why some people are comparing the damage to a war zone. That's what it looks so like. So much devastation there right now. More than 50 tornadoes reported across eight states in the last 24 hours. Our Western edition and news is breaking in the West tonight. A drought, a heat wave and strong winds are the elements for the disaster unfolding in Southern California. Wildfires are burning out of control in San Diego County. This is Carlsbad. The city sent notices today to 11,000 homes and businesses ordering people to get out. The Carlsbad fire is one of four in the county. Another is threatening homes at Camp Pendleton. Perhaps you have noticed some weird things going on in the world. Actually, I think we're often overwhelmed with weird things going on. Overwhelmed with information. And overwhelmed with noise. You just heard a couple news reports about weird things going on with the environment. Well, this series, and especially this episode, in a way, deal with how those news reports collide with this. You see all this potential. 
That shit squandered. An entire generation pumping gas, waiting tables, slaves with white collars. Advertising has us chasing cars and clothes, working jobs we hate so we can buy shit we don't need. Last week, we were peacefully walking in a garden, surrounded by wonderful rhythms, order, rest, and wonder. But this week, we're faced with chaos creeping back in. And so, we're reminded of the tension between creation narratives. If you've ever heard me talk about this topic or read anything I've written on this topic, you've heard me say that Augustine referred to creation as God's other book. In other words, we have as much to learn about the character of the Creator by, quote, reading the Creator's creation as we do in reading the Bible. So, things are off in creation. But we have a little work to do theologically to understand the implications as we talk about the character of the Creator. Does creeping chaos in creation mean that the Creator has left us on our own? Does creeping chaos mean the Creator is punishing us for something? Or is creeping chaos just random happenstance? I'm Anthony Mako. Welcome to Postmodern Liturgy. As we get to the actual creation care part of this series, I want to start off with a disclaimer. What I'm going to talk about is very, very close to a divisive political issue in the United States. I want to talk about it theologically. This is absolutely a political discussion because it deals with how communities of people interact with each other in the world. But this isn't partisan. The truth is, I don't have any faith in either either major political party in the United States to handle this issue well, for reasons I will get into later. So why am I being so careful with this issue? Because whether you believe me or not, this issue needs to rise above partisan debate for people of faith. It is, as I said last week, a foundational issue for followers of Christ. Occasionally, we'll drift into something that sounds like a talking point for a political party. I would only ask that you wrestle with these ideas. It's important. So as we wrestle with the status of the environment, there are some readings that can help us think about all this info theologically, and which will help with the questions I asked a couple minutes ago. But first, let me put all my cards on the table. Don't forget the title of this episode is The Status of Creation Reveals the State of the Collective Human Heart.
Jeremiah 3, 1 through 14. If a man divorces his wife, and she goes from him and becomes another man's wife, will he return to her? Would not such a land be greatly polluted? You have played the whore with many lovers. And would you return to me, says Yahweh? Look up to the bare heights and see. Where have you not been lain with? By the waysides you have sat waiting for lovers, like a nomad in the wilderness. You have polluted the land with your whoring and wickedness. Therefore the showers have been withheld, and the spring rain has not come. Yet you have the forehead of a whore. You refuse to be ashamed. Have you not just now called to me? My father, you are the friend of my youth. Will he be angry forever? Will he be indignant to the end? This is how you have spoken. But you have done all the evil that you could. Yahweh said to me in the days of King Josiah, Have you seen what she did, that faithless one, Israel? How she went up on every high hill and under every green tree and played the whore there? And I thought, after she has done all this, she will return to me. But she did not return, and her false sister Judah saw it. She saw that for all the adulteries of that faithless one, Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. Yet her false sister Judah did not fear. But she too went and played the whore. Because she took her whoredom so lightly, she polluted the land, committed it, committing adultery with stone and tree. Yet for all this, her false sister Judah did not return to me with her whole heart, but only in pretense, says Yahweh. Then the Lord said to me, Faithless Israel has shown herself less guilty than false Judah. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return, faithless Israel, says Yahweh. I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful, says Yahweh. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt, that you have rebelled against Yahweh your God, and scattered your favors among strangers under every green tree, and have not obeyed my voice, says Yahweh. Return, O faithless children, says Yahweh, for I am your master. I will take you, one from a city and two from a family and I will bring you to Zion. Hosea 4, 1 through 3. 
Hear the word of Yahweh, O people of Israel. For Yahweh has an indictment against the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or loyalty and no knowledge of God in the land. Swearing, lying, and murder, and stealing, and adultery break out. Bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore, the land mourns, and all who live in it languish. Together with the wild animals and the birds of the air, even the fish of the sea are perishing. Ezekiel 34, 17 through 22. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord Yahweh, I shall judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and goats. It is not enough for you to feed on the good pasture, but you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture. When you drink of clear water, must you foul the rest with your feet? And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet, and drink what you have fouled with your feet? Therefore, thus says the Lord Yahweh to them, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Because you pushed with flank and shoulder, and butted at all the weak animals with your horns until you scattered them far and wide, I will save my flock and they shall no longer be ravaged, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. Numbers 35, 29-34 These things shall be a statute and ordinance for you throughout your generations wherever you live. If anyone kills another, the murderer shall be put to death on the evidence of witnesses. 
but no one shall be put to death on the testimony of a single witness. Moreover, you shall accept no ransom for the life of a murderer who is subject to the death penalty. A murderer must be put to death. Nor shall you accept a ransom for one who has fled to a city of refuge, enabling the fugitive to return to live in the land before the death of the high priest. You shall not pollute the land in which you live, for blood pollutes the land, and no expiation can be made for the land, for the blood that is shed in it, except by the blood of the one who shed it. You shall not defile the land in which you live, in which I also dwell, for I, Yahweh, dwell among the Israelites. Romans 8, 18 through 25. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience.
I know. I'm pulling at a lot of threads right now. I have one more to start before I try and weave them all together. Let's talk about sin. If you want to use the fancy word, let's get into homartiology, the study of sin. There are, of course, a lot of different ways people think about sin. I grew up in an environment where there was basically a list of sins. I'd like to suggest something to you. There are not sins, there is sin. So, generally speaking, the idea is that sin is a choice to separate with the divine. But sin has become a meaningless term used to intimidate people and bring them back to what different groups consider to be normative. We've actually developed a term that I think captures the appropriate idea better than the word sin. It's consumerism where the lines between our needs and our wants are blurred, and where we look to exploit the resources around us, or for that matter, when we define all that surrounds us as resources. We are no longer sinners, because the term sin has been abused into obscurity. We are consumers. God is love, meaning God is self-sacrificing relationship. To love is to submit oneself to another. The opposite is to only see how another benefits you. In other words, a resource. We may have this distinction down when it comes to interpersonal relationships, but last week we talked about how creation was the beginning of a circle. So, from the tiniest bits of creation to the people we live with, we have a choice to make, to love or to exploit. And now we return to the readings this week. We return to the news reports, and we return to Brad Pitt and Fight Club. You have heard it said that the wages of sin is death. I just want to be clear about the equation. When one thinks of sin as a list of actions, they also seem to think of death as punishment for sinning. The logical opposite of that idea that I think a lot of people work under is, if my life is good, then I'm not sinning. I hate to be so blunt, but that's not what that phrase means. It means the result of sin is death. To separate oneself from the circle of life that the Creator established is obviously death. But it isn't always one's own death that results. And I have found the environment to be an incredibly helpful medium for understanding this concept. There was a Wendell Berry quote we used to say in my creation care program all the time. Do unto those downstream as you would have those upstream do to you. I'm not sure there could be a more helpful concept for faith formation. Let's call dumping oil in a river sin. If you're upstream, you can dump all the oil you want in a river. Two seconds later, you can take a refreshing drink of water while those downstream die. This is what this week's passages are talking about. Let's look a little more closely at the passage in Jeremiah 3. The passage begins by talking about divorce, but the very next verse talks about a greatly polluted land. The whole passage moves back and forth between the metaphor of two lovers and environmental concerns. Take verse 2 and 3, for example. 
By the wayside you have sat waiting for lovers, like a nomad in the wilderness. You have polluted the land with your whoring and wickedness. Therefore the showers have been withheld, and the spring rain has not come. I think we often read passages like this and hear, God punishes the wicked by not letting it rain on them. No. Consumers consume more and more, and exploiters do reap some reward for their exploitation. So, as consumption grows, the entire ecosystem experiences the effects. In that way, we can't measure how much our consumptive impulses have grown by looking inward. This brings us back to the news reports from the beginning of the podcast. But I would like to speak mostly from my own context in Columbus, Ohio. Ohio State University released some climate change projections for the Midwest, specifically Ohio. In short, projections suggested that impacts from climate change would see increased average temperatures, particularly harmful to agriculture in Ohio, is the amount of days above 90 degrees, changes in rainfall, and an increase in extreme weather events. These projections have generally been happening for sure, but this year alone has had noticeable activity in each of these areas. Between 1961 and 1990, Cincinnati experienced less than 20 days above 90 degrees per year, and Cleveland had less than 10. That should show a general average for Ohio, about 15 days above 90. So far this year, about halfway through the summer in Columbus, we've had 16 days at 90 or above. It's above 90 right now as I write this script. Massive spring flooding caused farmers to be well behind in their planning schedule. Perhaps you followed the hashtag NoPlant19 thread on Twitter. Many weren't able to get 100% planted, but this combination is significantly harmful to agriculture. Spring flooding causes a late or non-existent plant. And now, we have not had much precipitation and temperatures above 90 degrees, both of which caused yields to drop significantly. About a month ago, tornadoes caused large-scale damage in Dayton, Ohio. Shortly after, I went to visit my friend there who wasn't directly hit, but was very close to the damage. I asked him what the night was like. He said he talked to his roommate and they both said, we're in the valley, tornadoes never happen in the valley. When I led my trip to the Pacific Northwest in May, I commented to my cousin that the snowpack looked higher this year. He said, it's still well below where we should be and we're already in drought. We've heard about wildfires in the West, an increase, an increase in hurricane activity and strength and any number of other things in your area. That's only to speak of a context within the United States. I'm sure the growing listenership among international peoples could add information from their own contexts. But weather has always been unpredictable, you might say. Well, remember, I have a particular focus with this episode, theology. I'm not trying to convince anyone who doesn't believe in climate change that it's real. Although, I don't want to be wishy-washy at all, so I must say, it's real. I'm saying that the general consensus among climate scientists is that our actions have led us towards devastation. But here's what I find most ridiculous. 
Science and some streams of Christianity have had a negative relationship, but they are saying the same thing. Science says a failure to have any self-control in the area of consumption has led us down a dangerous, perhaps irreversible path. Christianity says the result of sin is death, and several passages in the Bible let us know that creation groaning is the indicator of approaching doom. One could even argue that it is Christians, or more accurately, a faith whose genesis is in the Hebrew scriptures, should have been the ones to offer this warning first. But, in the United States, it is evangelical Christians who are one of the largest groups of people who deny the issue. How is that the case? Because, within the United States, everything pushes us to be consumers. As the clip from Fight Club said, Advertising blurs the lines between our needs and our wants. All the political parties live on the consumption of their supporters. People on both sides will live with a lot of things for the sake of a strong economy. Even many churches have adjusted their strategies to mimic the tactics of business and government. Over and over again, we are told we are consumers, consumers of resources, consumers of ideology, and consumers of grace. And we live into that identity. And people who are downstream, so many marginalized groups who can't buy their way out, are paying the price. That isn't a healthy relationship with the Creator's good creation. So essentially we have two different issues going on. We urgently need to address the impact of climate change. Now, we may be able to do that with technology, and I celebrate the work in that direction. But for people of faith, we need to be the ones who remind people of something that has been true since the beginning. If we don't address our consumption, if we recklessly exploit, the wages of consumption will always be death. I often hear people talking about how Christians are supposed to live differently than the world lives. Well, this is it. We are not consumers. We have the image of the Creator, and we live with care, respect, and relationship with every tiny bit and every giant aspect of the creation around us. We certainly live off the power of the things around us also, who often sacrifice so that we might live. But we do not disrespect that process by exploiting anything, And we search for the ways we can sacrifice for the things of God that we steward. Like most things in faith, this is particularly hard because we all need to, quote, consume to some extent. But abstinence is rarely the answer. The life of a Christ follower is full of tensions and, quote, consumption exists on a spectrum. So, this week is hard, but we repent and we hear the good news of life that resounds throughout all of creation. The Creator is among us, and it is the Creator's voice we listen to, not advertisers or politicians, or oftentimes, not even churches. That's it for this week's episode. 
Next week, we will begin to feel less helpless as we learn of the relationship that has always existed between the people of God and the land. I'd love if you would join us online at postmodernliturgy.com. You can also connect with us on social media, at Postmodern Liturgy on Facebook and Instagram, and at PM Liturgy on Twitter. Finally, I'd love if you would consider supporting our work. You can do that for free by sharing, rating, and reviewing the podcast in your particular app, or you can do that financially by becoming a patron on Patreon. You can see several great benefits for our supporters on different levels there. And if you've heard me say this several times up to this point, you should check again because last week I changed some of the tiers and added some more benefits. None of you owe anything for this podcast, but if you appreciate this beginning seed of an idea, your financial support could make this work a lot more sustainable and allow it to grow and happen more often. You'll be in great company with several wonderful supporters we already have. Check out our Patreon site at patreon.com slash postmodern liturgy to see all the options and become a supporter. Thanks for joining me. Sorry to be a downer, but I'm right alongside you in this struggle. Understanding sin as consumption is daunting because it places us all in the same struggle, but it's encouraging because we're all in the same struggle. As always, enjoy the tension.